Dr. Neha Bhattak, and you're listening to Health Discovered, the show dedicated to taking on important topics and discussing what they mean for your health. As always, we bring you fascinating stories and unique perspectives while looking for unexpected discoveries along the way. We'll also explore thought-provoking ideas and questions like this one. What can parents do to raise resilient kids? Here to help us answer that question is Dr. Hansa Bhargava. Dr. Bhargava is Chief Medical Officer at Medscape Education. She's a pediatrician and the author of Building Happier Kids, Stress-Busting Tools for Parents. Hi, I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Hansa Bhargava today, talking about a really important issue, kids and mental health. It's definitely something that's been on my mind a lot, and I'm glad to have Hansa with us today to talk about this, especially in light of your new book, Building Happier Kids. Welcome, Hansa. Thank you, Neha, and it's so wonderful to be here today. So I think that one of the most important things, and I think people are really starting to talk about it now, is is mental health and particularly how things in the world today are affecting our children. The pandemic, two years of a pandemic, we're finally coming out now. Uh, so many other things in the headlines these days. How are you dealing with it? Great question. And you know, one thing I will say right up front is that I am also a mom. I'm a pediatrician and a mom, and I have two teenagers. And I'm just going to go back a little bit, Neha, to the pandemic and even prior to the pandemic. And we often talk about mental health in conjunction with the pandemic. But in fact, the mental health crisis was starting and had ramped up way before the pandemic in kids. And we were seeing this from the CDC data in terms of both anxiety, depression, and even suicidality in youth. And what happened actually was prior to the pandemic, but the pandemic catalyzed it. And there's a silver lining around the cloud, you know, of the pandemic. And that is that at least we're talking about it a lot more. There's a lot more awareness of it. And we're finally focusing on it because it's an urgent crisis at this point. And we really need to take a look at our kids and as families reset around the issues about the pandemic and mental health. Yeah, that's such an important point. So what made you sit down and think about writing this book? What was it that just sort of said, this is something I need to talk to parents about? Yeah, so as a pediatrician, I was hearing more and more families talking about the stress that their kids were facing. In fact, a huge uptake a couple of years prior to the pandemic. And of course, as I referred to, the data was definitely there. But what really got to me was the fact that as a pediatrician, and as a pediatrician, I think that I know a little bit about children, right? But in fact, I started seeing the stress in my own kids. And that's when I just had to pause, when my own daughter and my own son started displaying signs of stress. And that's when everything stopped. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is a problem, not just out there, not just with my patients, but actually in my own home. And that's when I really felt like I needed to talk about it and come up with solutions that were solutions that were adaptable to parents' busy lifestyles. Yeah, that, that's so important. And you start your book with a quiz on really taking an inventory of your 
child's emotional well-being. Can you talk a little bit about that? What are some of the things we should be looking for to even identify that this is a concern or something we should be really talking to our children about? Yeah, and that's a great question. And I think that one distinguishing factor that we may not know, our parents may not know about kids is they may not come to you and say that they're stressed. They may not come to you and say they're anxious. Depending on the age of the child, it manifests in different ways. So there's two things I would point to. Kids may present with headaches and stomach aches or even body aches or I don't want to go to school, which is actually what happened to my daughter. She actually started having more headaches and stomach aches and so did my son. And at, at one point she actually, and I talk about this in my book, she actually said, I don't want to go to school. And so we have to kind of be cognizant as parents that kids may not say that they're stressed or anxious. They actually just may have body symptoms. And in fact, a study that we did a few years ago at WebMD, where we actually asked parents about their stress level and then asked parents about whether their kids were having symptoms like stomach aches and headaches and whatnot. Uh, and we actually were able to show a correlation that when parents were stressed, kids were stressed too. And I'm not saying that all stomach aches are stress related, Neha, but when we see kids coming in with a stomach ache in a certain age group, we will rule out the things that could cause stomach aches, such as appendicitis or other things. And then we will also assess whether there's stress in the family. So that's when I turn to parents and I say, what's going on in the family? What's your stress level like? Have there been any changes for jobs or sickness or anything else that could affect the child's stress? But kids are like little sponges. They absorb the stress of their parents. And, and that's really important to know. It's so true. You know, my daughter, uh, my eight-year-old, recently came home and she was complaining of headaches. And I had this was right after I had been reading through your book. So she started complaining of headaches and a stomach ache. And she had not really done that before. And uh, it really triggered me to sit down and talk to her and ask her. And then it turned out that, you know, a couple of kids in her class had a GI bug. So it, it uh, all made sense in that way. So it's exactly to your point that this is not necessarily, you know, a one-time thing. You really are looking for a pattern of these new kind of physical complaints. Is that something that people should be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it definitely is a pattern. And this is where, as a pediatrician, I always go back to the parent and I ask the parent because a parent knows their child best. So the question is, are these patterns different from the baseline of your child or your teen? So a lot of parents will ask me, you know, what are the signs I should look for for mental health illness in my teens? And I will always go back to their baseline. Like, you know, if the grades are changing, is it different than what he or she usually has? Are the dietary habits changing? Okay, are they different than their usual? Uh, you know, are the sleep habits changing? Are they different than their usual? And certainly, again, even with teens, you could have headaches and stomach aches, and that could be a manifestation of stress. Absolutely. So you also talk about getting back to the four fundamentals. What are those fundamentals? What should we be trying to instill in our children? Great question. And, and I talk about that, Nehal, because I feel like it's been lost. And this is why like, I, I really feel strongly that we need to reset as parents, that in our race, and I call it keeping up with the Joneses, parent style, in our race to do everything for our kids, and do everything everyone else is doing for our kids, we have forgotten 
the pillars that actually matter in a child's life and a family's life. And those fundamentals are not just nutrition, not just sleep, you know, not just exercise and, you know, not just rest, but actually family communication. And I would say that especially now with the stress that the pandemic has brought to families and to parents and to kids with online school, you know, job changes, everything that's happening, certainly the news cycle and, and everything that's happening in the news cycle, it becomes even more important than ever to go back and urgently put back those pillars of communication, connection and community. It's just so essential, I, I cannot tell you. And, and we are seeing the impact of the pandemic. As I said, it catalyzed everything. So it's enhanced all the issues that were already there, but it's a flashpoint now. We are at a watershed moment and we need to go back to these pillars that have been around for thousands of years, Neha, to, to help us all feel grounded. No, I I always think about when I think about what you're saying, I think about that picture of uh, the duck that's kind of swimming serenely on the pond and underneath the feet are flapping furiously. And I was always told that your children should see you above the water and not what's going on under the water. But that's so hard. It's really hard right now. Um, with all you said, you know, everything that's going on in the world, the pandemic that's put so many stresses on parents. So what do you think in terms of people feeling badly themselves about not being able to provide that environment for their kids? What can they do? Yes. Neha, I, I think as parents, and I'm a parent too, we often take on the world, right? We want to take on the world for our children, right? And, and there's two things I would say, first of all, and I'm happy to get back to this um, some more because I think it's such an important issue. First of all, we as parents have trained ourselves to put our kids at the center of our world and raise them as if they are the center of the universe. And that unfortunately is the exact wrong thing to do. And, and I'll tell you why. The reason why is because first of all, that's a lot of pressure on us as parents, right? And if I go back to, you know, the kids can feel your stress, the kids are gonna feel that stress, right? Because they will feel that, that burden that you're carrying. And the second reason why is because nobody is the center of the world, right? So you think about your child and they're used to being the center of the world and then they go out in the world and the world does not think that they are the center, right? So it's gonna affect everything, right? Like, what do you mean I didn't get the job? What do you mean I didn't get the college? What do you mean, you know, that person doesn't want a relationship with me? And what do you mean that, you know, these people are not my friends because, you know, I'm really self-centered. So think about the implications of making your child the center of the world. So that's not how parents raise their kids for thousands of years. That is not how we raise your kids. So there's that aspect. The second aspect that I would really strongly point to is we as parents need to take care of ourselves. And I think this is such an important issue that I dedicate an entire chapter and it is the main thread of everything I say in the book. And that is because if you are not feeling well yourself, if you are not happy and content and calm yourself, then you will not be able to be the best parent that you can be. So if you don't want to do it for yourself, do it for your children, do it for your children. And it took me a very long time myself, I'll confess, to actually understand and put that in my life. So I don't blame parents for not doing it, but I am saying that you have to do it in order to be the best parent for your child. 
Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I think it gives people some freedom to say, hey, if I'm taking care of myself, I'm actually improving the mental health of my children. So that's a great way to kind of shift your mindset. Let's talk a little bit about time. So finding time for yourself, finding time for your kids. Are we just way too overscheduled right now to be able to do that? Absolutely. That is the American story. (laughs) And I'll just say it. I mean, you know, we are go-getters, right? And, you know, I actually, when I started to write this book, I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, you know, am I practicing what I'm preaching? And when I did that, I realized that it was a struggle for me too. It was. And I talk about how that actually is how I start the book. You know, my child was overscheduled and I was overscheduled. And so I think you have to kind of go against the grain of our culture a little bit and go back to, you know, what we are supposed to do. And I'll just tell a little story now. Like I was taking a course at Emory University. Uh, it's called Cognitive Based Compassion Training. And a lot of the principles I talk about in the book are based on that course. The first two modules in that course, CBCT at Emory University, actually talk all about self-compassion. So there I was learning about this, but then I was doing Peloton and my favorite instructor was saying, go, 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 you can do anything, keep going, you know, faster, harder, stronger, right? And I remember one day I was just so conflicted. I was like, what? I, I mean, how do I do that? And then also try and like reset and be quiet and be calm. How does that work exactly? It's two different instructions that I can't seem to comprehend. And then I came across a story in my textbook and the story was really important, so I'll tell it. And the story is about a student who's learning archery from his teacher. And you know he keeps missing the target. And finally the teacher said, no, you're not pulling the bow back enough to actually hit your target. And the student looks at the teacher and says, well, I don't understand, why can't I just push it? I mean, why do I have to pull it back? And the teacher says, you have to pull it back in order to gain the momentum and the energy to actually push forward. So the teacher is actually saying that you have to be able to replenish yourself to actually move forward. So the instructor that I that was that was yelling at me was not wrong, and neither was the course. It's actually both sides of the coin. Yes, if we want to go faster and we do we have to be able to take the rest and replenish ourselves. And that's true for ourselves and for our kids. And that's why making time for that is a priority just like anything else is. I love that story, Hansa. You know, I'm really curious about how to have these conversations and how to instill these ideas in our children. Are we sort of nudging them silently? Are we having very open, intentional conversations? When do we start doing this? You know, like, I feel like my 10-year-old may start to understand some of this. My eight-year-old may not understand. So how are you thinking about how to have the conversation and when to have the conversation? You know, I think a lot of parents struggle with that, right? And it depends on the age of the child. But here's the thing. First of all and foremost, be the change you wish to see in your kids. What you do is always stronger than what you say as a parent. And so I would say, first of all, make the change yourself and point the change out to your kids that I'm gonna rest, this is my time to rest. And sometimes I'll even say to my kids, I'm going into my room, I'm closing the door, 
This is mom time. <laughs> and it's okay. It's okay, right? Because then they learn, oh, well, mom's taking care of herself. That's that's a good thing, right? So definitely you want to do that. Secondly, if there are educational opportunities, for example, I'll just point to my own kids. Your child comes home and says, oh, I got a C on this test. And, you know, I studied really hard and I'm so upset and I'm so sorry. I really wanted to get an A. And, I, and I've seen this happen with my own kids then that's your opportunity to take that as a learning opportunity. Don't get upset with your child. You, you know, if you are um, a tiger mom, <laughs> or even if you're not, and you just want to have straight A's from your child, this is not the time to get upset. What you want to say is, okay, that's fine. You know what? These things happen, but this is, this is our opportunity to learn from it. What could you do differently next time? And also having a, a B or an A is not the defining factor for you. What's defining is how, you know, how you learn, whether you love to learn and, you know, what you do when you fall, how do you get up again? And that's a much more important lesson than to say, what, you know, how did you end up getting a C? And, and that's why, like, I keep going back to, if you're calm and you're content with yourself, you're probably going to have a better conversation with that child. And then to flip the perspective and say, Hey, you know what? When my child stumbles, I will teach them how to get themselves up again, as opposed to saying, why did you stumble? So it's just a shift in philosophy and perspective. And, and so, so I've done that in my own kids. And I'll just tell you a funny story. You know, I was that parent. Uh, yeah. You know, one of the things that really shifted the way that I think about how I talk to my kids was someone told me, if you were at work and you made a mistake, how would you expect your colleagues and your boss to talk to you? In that same way, why do you think it's okay to come home and kind of, if not order your kids around, but speak to them in a certain tone? We, we wouldn't expect that at work. And so we, we shouldn't be doing that to our children or, you know, putting that kind of pressure on them or saying things in a certain way. So that makes a lot of sense. Now, a lot of these things are easier said than done. Totally. And I was going to what I was going to also say is that I was that parent. Let me just say, I confess, I was that tiger parent who's overscheduled and overwhelmed myself. But I realized that it was not the best thing for my kids because that's what ends up having our kids be really wound up, anxious, stressed. So I feel like my book and the stories I tell in the book are just important in terms of prevention of mental health and mental health illness. And that's another point I just wanted to make, Neha, and that is that just like we work on prevention of diabetes and prevention of a heart disease, prevention of cancer, I do think there's a role for prevention of mental health illness. And of course, all of it can't be prevented, just like all cancer cannot be prevented. But gosh, we can reduce the risk by putting these pillars down and living what we want our kids to live like. Yeah. I wonder, you know, just kind of getting back to that point about, is there something different? Put the pandemic aside, like you said, that this was happening before the pandemic. Are these the same stressors that we had as children? Or is this a new world where our children, even before the pandemic, were exposed to new stressors? And what are they? Is it social media? Is it, you know, all of the above? Is it just the easy access to headlines? What is it that's different? Because until we identify the problem, it's hard to sort of really put down these solutions or to fortify, you know, our homes. Yeah, I think there's a few factors that are different, Neha. Such a great question. 
the first factor I would point to that's really important is that whether you look back in time over thousands of years or you look across the world to different cultures, there are fundamental foundational elements that's so important to our humanity. And that is essentially community, right? Is it church? Is it temple? Is it mosque? You know, is it just the soccer club or is it the neighborhood that comes together, right? That is a fundamental important aspect of being human to have that community right to have the connection is really really important connections are not on social media they're deep connections right face to face or at least talking to each other and to have that communication with your family and having that family time to communicate with your kids so those fundamentals are across the world in every culture so that's something that's been forgotten and that is an element that's really contributed to this crisis the other element that's really important that we talked about already is putting the kids at the center of the universe. That is not true across cultures or in the thousands of years, right? The kids were part of a community, but they certainly weren't what everything revolved around, right? And lastly, it's modern parenting. Modern parenting is the S's. I call them the S's. So overscheduling, lack of sleep, social media, and screens. And so it's almost those three elements have come together to create the perfect storm for a kid. So when you ask me, what should we do and how should we understand this? I think you have to hit all of those three in order to make a difference. I know that it sounds like a huge task, but you know, I do come up with um, simple ways to kind of incorporate that uh, into your life, but I just think it's essential now. So tell me some of those simple ways. So what, what should we be doing? So once we've identified this as a problem, what can we do, these simple solutions that can help us? Yeah, absolutely. So the shift in perspective is really important and the self-care, I'm so sorry I keep saying that, but just so, so important like to, to kind of reset yourself, right? In terms of pragmatics, scheduling. Scheduling is a big problem, right? So what I say, and I talk about this in my book, is prioritize prioritize depending on your passions and your kids passions so what is your kids passions if they really really like something make that like the one thing that you go after right or they might be really good at it and you think that they will end up liking it so pick a major like a major area of interest and just focus on that and then maybe have one minor area of interest but certainly they don't have to like my daughter was be involved in four or five activities, there's no point because what that ends up doing is they're spread really thin. They lose that passion and love for whatever it was. And you've lost your three C's. So that time, the fundamental C's, which I talked about the connection, the community, the communication is lost because there's only so much time in the day. So prioritize the activities for sure. And then build in the time where there's actually no activities. And that needs to be built in every day. So for me, it's something really small. When they get into the car, when I pick them up, there's no devices. It doesn't matter if they don't wanna to talk to me. And certainly my teenagers don't wanna to talk to me sometimes, but it's okay because either way, if they don't wanna to talk to me, they've got quiet time, right? Um, so you can build it into the day. It doesn't have to be a sit down dinner uh, for an hour because that's, sometimes not achievable depending on the day, and then build in like a few hours on the weekend. I think that on a Saturday or Sunday, that should be achievable. And if it's not, then you got to relook at your schedule and see what can actually go away for this very important foundational element to be built in. 
Yeah. You know, this is reminding me we had our first vacation as a family in two years, just this past weekend. And as I had mentioned to you before, the car that we usually take has a TV entertainment system, but that was in the shop. So we were driving 11 hours without any electronics. And uh, yes, I can see your face cringing. And <laughs> that's how we felt. And we were scared. <laughs> we were very, very scared to go on this trip. But, you know, it was so interesting because we went with two families. It was two families who went and we put all the kids in one van and they did not need any electronics. They entertained each other for at least six hours between breaks. And it was amazing to see. And it sort of goes back to your point too, about not making them the center of the universe. So we weren't figuring out how to entertain them and, you know, what can we do to keep them busy? They just had a couple of friends in the car with them and, and they did the work themselves. You know what? And to be honest, if you look at that situation as stressful as it may have been before the trip, <laughs> you actually created an opportunity for them, right? So when they communicate with each other, they're learning different sets of skills. You know, we talk about that with screen time. I sit on the American Academy of Pediatrics Communication and Media uh, Council, and they are the ones who come up with the screen time guidelines. And we talk about how screens can actually take away precious time for the kids to learn how to communicate. So you actually did them a huge service, as stressful as it may have been. And then I'll, ju I'll just say one other thing. We, as parents, get stressed out about things like that, right, now. But if we can just reframe it and say, let it go. It'll all be okay, right? And that's one thing that I've tried to incorporate into my own parenting, like just remembering those words that it'll be okay. It will really be okay. Like the world will not end. And, you know, I think that really reframes everything and also reframes your mood, which the kids basically can see. So it's all good. <laughs> that's right. There are going to be some days where they are going to watch a lot of screen time a lot more than I wanted them to watch. And you know, again, it's sort of like pick your battles and enjoy whatever path you end up on. You just need to sort of enjoy it at that time and not stress about it. I, I think that's so important. Absolutely. Any more sort of solutions, any more things that we can think about? I, I love the tip about just, you know, simplify. That doesn't mean you have to not pursue any, you know, interesting goals or do interesting things and share interesting experiences, but really try to simplify the schedule. What about sleep, especially as they get older? I know that when they were younger, it was sort of like 7, 7.30, they were down and I had me time and it was great. And now they can walk and talk and, and they come find me. And so <laughs> both things are being lost. How do you encourage good sleep habits as they get older? And I think it's, you know, what you just said, Neha. So first of all, let's just say, like, let's have this main theme in our parenting style of letting things go and knowing that things will change constantly, right? I have two teenagers, so gosh it's a little bit rough at times, but I remind myself that <laughs> this is only today, you know, that it is one day out of 365 days out of how many years. So, you know, just, just reframing it in my own mind helps a lot. So when you come up against those struggles with the sleep, just remember that first of all, and enjoy them because they grow up really fast. Uh, the second thing that I have done, and I suggest 
that parents do is just to have those conversations when everyone's calm about how important sleep is, for example, right? So if you have enough of those conversations, I mean, a lot of parents, we as parents feel it's very important to have conversations about drugs, for example, like substance use, right? Or sex or, you know, whatever those conversations are. But if you kind of put those in the same light and say, hey, these are important fundamentals for prevention. Let's have these conversations with our kids frequently about how important sleep is or how important it is to kind of know about your screen time. Yes, you can have screen time, but if you continuously have those conversations, hopefully you get to a point where the kids are kind of governing their own bodies. And that's the goal. You want to give them a toolkit so that you're not constantly on them and they actually do that themselves. So I'll just give you a little story. So I've been doing this, like frequent conversations about screen time and sleep with my kids. And the other day I asked my son who was studying, I'm like, where's your phone? I need to take a look at you know this or that. And he's like, oh, it's upstairs. And I'm like, it's upstairs, but you're studying over here. And he's like, yeah, I put my phone on a different floor because it distracts me. So, you know, I, I do that all the time. Like I haven't been on the phone for several hours and, and I thought to myself, wow, like that's self-governing, right? So somewhere, somehow, I'm not saying, look, there's lots of things my kids do. <laughs> they are definitely not little angels, but you know, I, I was just proud of that one moment in terms of that self-governing, right? You want to give your kids tools that they can take with them when they fly out of your nest. I love that. I mean, it really is the whole mindset shift from I need to be sort of, I don't want to be the one telling them what to do all the time and really setting them up so that they can sort of govern themselves. So, so great. Such a great point. What about when you're not able to prevent it and you're just noticing that things are changing, they're shifting, you're child looks like they need help. What are some of those things that we should be looking for? And then what can we do in that situation? Absolutely. And, and kids will shift all the time and they will need help, right? And one of the main themes that I say is that if your child needs help and they need to talk to you, especially if it seems like a crisis, drop everything. And, and I do mean that as a parent. And the reason I say that is because especially as they get older, they may not come back to you, with that issue that they really wanted to talk about and communication with your kids is golden. So whatever it takes, that is your North Star to keep that communication open because it will serve you, not just when they're eight or 10, but when they're 15 and when they're 25. And you know that way you know what's happening in their life. And certainly you won't know everything all the time, but at least there's hope that they will come to you with the really serious issues. So yeah, absolutely. Like if you think there's shifts in your kids, follow your gut. And you know, if you think it's urgent, then drop everything and pay attention to your child, have that conversation. And if there's concern, then definitely reach out for help to your pediatrician, to your doctor, to a professional. Uh, that, you know, you're right because it's hard because kids are constantly shifting, changing as they grow. Some of that is normal. Some of that is what you want to see. Um, you want to see them being more independent and doing things on their own, but it's really critical to see when that shift looks like they're pulling away and just not happy and not able to do the things they need to do. Absolutely. I think trusting your gut is such an important thing. Neha, I've seen patients in my office and, you know, everything seems great on the surface and 
perhaps the nurse or the, the person who's helping me tells me when I'm walking into the room that, oh yeah, it's just a sore throat. But I will always look at the parent and ask them what they feel because it's such an important thing. Like your gut as a parent knows what's going on. So just take a deep breath and trust your gut and definitely be there for your kids if, if you feel like they need you. So uh, this has been such an important conversation in terms of just final tools, tips. What do you think we should end with and make sure that we really are thinking about? Yeah. And, and thank you so much for having me. First of all, I really appreciate this, Neha. I would point to three areas as the final tools. And I will say again, this is urgent. I think we need to reset and this is because of what I'm seeing out there and the fact that our kids are under undue stress right now. The three areas that I would say are really important is number one, take care of yourself. And the reason I say that is because you cannot help your children. It's like the oxygen mask. You cannot put the oxygen mask on your kids if you don't have oxygen yourself. So it's really, really important. The second thing is don't make them the center of the universe unless you think there's something urgent. We talked about that. And not making them, having that shift will really help your kids become much more capable adults. And that's what we all want, right? We want them to be capable and happy at the end of the day. And lastly, I would say the golden rule and the, the North Star for parenting, in my opinion, is to keep those communication lines open. So wherever you can communicate, whether it's in the car or whether it's just, it could be watching a movie together. It could be going for a walk. Find little nuggets of time where you can have those conversations and just hang out with your kids. It's so important because it will be important, not just now, but when they're teens and when they're young adults and when they're adults, you want to be there for them. So those are the three things I would point to as really important. Thank you so much for this conversation, Hansa. So important. Thank you, Neha, for having me. This has been wonderful. Thank you for listening to this episode of Health Discovered from WebMD. I'm Dr. Neha Batuk. Before you go, please take a moment to subscribe to Health Discovered wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay well, and I'll talk to you next time.